Um, every fall, I, I like to just take some time to try and consider what it is that I believe that the Lord wants us to cover as a church in the following year. I, I try to take time to, to think about what's going on in the life of our church, what's going on in our world, and all these different things to try and lay out a calendar of what it is that we want to, to talk about each and every week. And and so last fall, I did just that, and I came up with a plan that I thought was a good plan going into an election year. I know from the last couple of election years that things can get a little tense around this time, and so I considered talking about you know, the importance of unity and the importance of being a good neighbor with the continued tension in Israel. I thought about diving into that a little bit and, and just so many other thoughts that were, were coming to my mind on, on things that I thought, this is what I, I, I want to talk about. But as I went through that entire process, something just didn't feel quite right. And then it was a few months ago, I was in the lobby after a service and this this uh, young 20s uh, girl came up to me, and she was as sweet as could be, and, but, but, but she asked me the question, she goes, why do you preach topically as opposed to exegetically? And if that means nothing to you, what, that, what she's basically saying is, why do you just take a topic and talk about it and ta- instead of taking scripture and talking about that? And again, she asked it in a very polite way, but of course, there is a part of me that's like, what do you mean, you know? I, uh, I, I, I know that our series have been topical, but I do believe that our messages have been exegetical. And she said, yeah, yeah, I get that. She goes, I, I, I'm just curious why, why you do that as opposed to just taking a book of the Bible and preaching that. And I said, well, honestly, that's my favorite kind of preaching to do. And then a couple of weeks after that, I was having coffee with a friend. And, and, and he had been in ministry for, for a long time, and, and, and we were talking, and and he, he just brought up the point that I, I remember this so vividly. Maybe some of you will remember this as well. Like 10, 15 years ago, maybe even just five years ago, there was this trend in the church that, 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 that we felt like as, as pastors that it was our job to entertain you. And so, you know, that meant that you had preachers who were driving Harleys up on stage and stuff like that to, to make it cool and edgy and to bring people in and... And, and we were talking about it, and, and he just looked at me and he said, you know, I, I really think that we're at a point in the church today that we just need to focus on teaching the Word of God. And then I had a conversation, uh, uh, or I was listening to a podcast with some church leaders a, a couple of weeks after that, and they were talking about that exact same thing. And all of a sudden, as I was listening to all this, and as I, 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 I kind of felt something stirring within me, and I've always believed that God can speak in any way that he wants, but in my life, I've experienced God speak in primarily three different ways. I've, ex- I've experienced him speaking through his word, I've experienced him speaking in my conscience and in my soul, and I've experienced him speaking through his people. And I believe that that's kind of what has been going on over these last several months, and and so after all these conversations and, 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 and everything that has taken place, I, I kind of completely shifted my focus and went away from what it was that I was planning on talking about and just started thinking about what book or what books of the Bible would I like to go through. And after more prayer and talking to more ministry friends, I, I came back and I just landed on the book of Romans. And so here's what we're doing in 2024. We're going to take 37 weeks and just walk through the book of Romans. And I can not wait. 
And so as we get this started today, can we take a moment and just ask the Lord to bless our time together, not just today, but any week that he chooses to give us over the course of this year. Let's pray. My Father in heaven, I feel such a weight on my shoulders right now and just such a a great responsibility, and it is so life-giving to feel and to experience. And so I pray right now for, for this time that we have together. And Father, we don't know how long we have, and we don't know how many weeks we will have together this year, but we do ask that every single one that you so graciously give us that we will be just good stewards of each and every one of them. Father, I pray that you will speak loudly through your word, that as we dive into this this letter to the Romans, that we will see just how applicable it still is to us today and that it will move us. Father, I pray as we go through today, as we go through the weeks to come, that you will encourage us where we need to be encouraged, that you will challenge us where we need to be challenged, that you will convict us where we need to be convicted, and that each and every one of us will allow the walls of our heart to be torn down so that you can do within us what only you can do. Father, we are desperate for you, and I am begging you to come and just bless this time. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, today is going to be a lot of information. Um, and, and I would encourage you, if you have a bulletin, there are some names I'm going to give you that maybe some of you are familiar with and others of you, you know, may, maybe you're not familiar with them. I would encourage you to write down uh, some, some of the names that we're going to give and, and go and do a little bit of research on them and, and, and be able to kind of see. So, so what I want to do today is I just want to focus on a few different things. Number one. I want to focus on why would we choose to spend this much time in the book of Romans? What is it about this letter to the Romans that is so important? And, 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 and since we're going to spend so much time in this letter, I want to look at the background and the purpose of Romans. And then finally, I want to just highlight a few little thoughts that will become reoccurring thoughts throughout the entire letter that we find in the first few verses of Romans. So the first thing that we want to do is why the book of Romans? One reason would be that I believe Romans answers questions that we all ask and that we all desperately need answers to. Romans answers questions like like these, can God be trusted? Is God consistent? Is God faithful? Is God who he claims to be? Will God keep his promises? How can I be made right with God and how can I... Be saved. Romans teaches us what, what, what humans are really like and what we really need and what God has done to provide a way for us and what a lifestyle that grows out of a Christian worldview really looks like. In other words, the book of Romans teaches us how to think Christianly about the things that are going on in our world, in our life, and in our culture, in a and, and maybe it's somewhat of a surprising way. Maybe it should never be a surprising way. But the, the content that, that, that is covered in this letter to the Romans, it is still so incredibly relevant and applicable to our context today. And, and in addition to all that, another reason why I believe we should look into the, this letter of Romans is because so many of the greatest movements in church history have started out of a love and a study and a devotion to this book of Romans. R.C. Sproul is a theologian and a pastor today, and, 
And in his Bible, he talks about how at the top of his, his Bible in Romans chapter 1, he has written just a series of dates. The first date that he has written is the year 386. Because it was in the year 386 that there was a young man whose father was a pagan, but whose mother was a devout Christian. This young man was not a Christian. He did not claim to be a Christian. He did not want to live any kind of life that even began to resemble what a Christian moral life would look, at, look, look like. But, but, but through, through, through it all, through all of his, his, his anger and through all of his decisions that he had made to completely separate himself from the ways of Jesus, his mother continually prayed for her son. And one day, this young man, he was out in a garden where where he was pacing back and forth whenever he came across the, a copy of the New Testament that had, had, been, had been chained to a lectern. And while he was walking in, 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 in the garden, he, he heard these children who were playing, and I don't know what kind of games they played in the 4th century, but evidently one of the games that they played included this song that had a common refrain, and the common refrain was this. It would be translated as, Take up and read. And so this young man, whose name was Aurelius Augustus, uh, Augustine, he went to that New Testament that was there, and he let it fall open, and it opened to the book of Romans. And Augustine would read a passage out of Romans 13 where it says, And, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and to put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing in, in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. And as he read these words, he said that he could feel the Spirit of God piercing his soul. And by the power of the Word of God, Augustine converted to the Christian faith. And today we actually know him as St. Augustine of Hippo. The second date that R.C. Sproul has written down is the year 1515. Because it was in that year that an Augustian monk was pursuing his doctoral studies in the works of Augustine. And over time, he had been chosen to be the professor of biblical studies at his university, and, and he had already delivered a series of lectures on the book of Psalms, but, but, but he was getting ready to begin teaching through the book of Romans. And while he was studying to teach Romans 1, he came across this notation in an ancient manuscript of Augustine's, defining the righteousness of God. Augustine, he, he, he said that this righteousness of God in Romans chapter 1 is not the righteousness by which God himself is righteous. This is so important, church. It is not the righteousness by which God himself is righteous, but the righteousness that he freely gives to those who put their faith in Christ. And for the very first time, Martin Luther's life this man who had always lived with this relentless guilt of, of not living up to the law of God, he understood the gospel of Christ. Luther would later build his ministry on and, and, and stand on this, doctor, this doctrine of justification by faith alone. And as a result, in the 16th century, the Protestant Reformation began. 
The next date that R.C. Sprouls has written down is the year 1783. Because it was in 1783 that John, John, John Wesley, an ordained Anglican minister in England, he was listening to a message being delivered in London. And he would later mention that while he was listening to the words of Romans, that he, he felt his heart just seemingly become warm. He claims that, that that was the moment of his authentic conversion. And at that moment, and, 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 and it was that moment that defined the rest of his life and the rest of his his ministry. We could go on and we could talk about so many more. We could talk about John uh, Chrysostom, who, who would have the, the letter of Romans read to him at a minimum two times every single week. We could talk about John Calvin or Jonathan Edwards and any number of other church leaders throughout history. But the thing that I want us to see is that God has truly blessed those who have devoted themselves to the study of this book. My friend, Michael DeFazio, he puts it like this. He said, we should approach studying Romans with excitement and fear because, listen, it should change you. We should by no means finish this journey as the same people that we are today. He continues by saying that we should know Jesus more clearly, understand the gospel more thoroughly, pursue grace more passionately, and feel it more deeply. We should hate sin more completely. We should understand more fully than we ever have before God's purpose for the world and his faithful achievement of those purposes in spite of evil and in spite of sin. Studying the book of Romans should change you. Martin Luther, he would later say that Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much, and the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. I was listening to a, a, a video the other day, just one of those things that I don't know what all shows up in your algorithm, but every once in a while I get like preaching videos that show up in my algorithm on like Instagram and stuff, and it was this preacher who stood up, and she was talking about the Apostle Paul, and, and as she was, she, she, she was talking about it, she, she, she was going through a, a passage in 1 Corinthians that, that Paul had, had written, and, and, and she said that, that she intentionally skipped over a portion of Scripture, because in that portion of Scripture, and there were, Paul was being a jerk. We may come upon times in the book of Romans where you may feel that the Apostle Paul is being a jerk. But I want you to know the more that you spend time with this letter, with this book, the more you will be able to see how sweet it is that the Apostle Paul is not necessarily being a jerk. He just happens to love the people that he's talking to enough to tell them the truth. But if we're going to spend so much time in this letter... We should probably know a little bit about its background, and a lot of this stuff is just so fascinating to me. First off, it was written by the Apostle Paul, and it was written around the year 56 or 57 AD, whenever the Apostle Paul was in Corinth during his third missionary journey. The Apostle Paul, as some of you may know, is credited with writing at least nearly half, if not more than half, of our New Testament. There are 27 books and letters in our New Testament, and at least 13 or 14 of those are credited to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, of course, he was known as, as Saul of Tarsus. And, 
And, and he, he was a zealous Jew, I mean a passionate Jewish believer. He came from the party of the Pharisees, and, and we know of the Pharisees because of their interactions with Jesus. And so often whenever we think about the Pharisees, we always have this bad taste in our mouth. But the thing about the Pharisees that we most, must understand is that they were a passionate group of people who were just simply passionate about the law of God, about the old covenant law of God. And, and they believed that Jesus was coming and standing in the way of the fulfillment and, and, and the truth that was found in the old covenant law. And that's why they opposed Jesus so, so passionately. But the Apostle Paul, he was in that party, and it's the reason that the Apostle Paul's life looked like it did before he came into a relationship with Jesus. He was opposed to what was known as the way, which was just simply the early church movement following the resurrection of Jesus. He took, he, he took pride in persecuting the church. He took pride in killing Christians, even the very first Christian martyr, a man by the name of Stephen. It was the Apostle Paul who was standing there holding on to the coats of those who were throwing the rocks at Stephen. And Paul was simply saying, I approve of the action that is taking place right now. He took pride in, in, in working to scatter churches. But I want, I want Paul to tell his own story because Three different times in the book of Acts, we see where the Apostle Paul's story and the story of his conversion is told. And one of those times is actually found in Acts chapter 22. In Acts chapter 22, the Apostle Paul, he has been arrested in Jerusalem and the crowds. They were just simply outraged by his presence. They did not want him anywhere near their city. And so as the crowds were outraged, the Apostle Paul, he, he, he stands up and he begins, to he begins to speak to the crowd. And this is what he says. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, I studied under Gamaliel and, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and, and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem so that they could be punished. Verse 6, he says, But about noon as I came near Damascus, then suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions, they saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. So my companions, they led me by the hand into Damascus because of the brilliance of the light had blinded me. And a man by the name of Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and, and he said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. And then he said to me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear, hear words from excuse me, from his mouth, you will be witness to all, you, you will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And so now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying at the temple and I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking to me quick. He said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here have not accepted your testimony about me. But Lord, I replied, 
These people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and to beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And like I said, three different times in the book of Acts, we read about this conversion story of the apostle Paul. And so by the time that the apostle Paul writes to the Roman church, he has been preaching the gospel for almost 25 years. And he's actually had this transitional point there towards the end of his third missionary journey where, where, where he had just a little bit of time and and so since he had a little bit of time, he sat down and wrote out his most thorough letter describing the ins and outs of the Christian faith. But it's interesting because whenever Paul was writing this letter to the Romans, Paul had never been to Rome. He had never visited this church. He had always wanted to go, but because of his ministry in the Eastern Mediterranean, he had just not been able to quite make the trip just yet. And that's so important because I think this is part of the reason why we read about the Apostle Paul's conversion so many times in the book of Acts. Because this is a story that was constantly being told because it was almost as if Paul's conversion story was, was his message to people that he was getting ready to go and minister to that I know I have a reputation from the past. I know that you have every reason to be afraid of me, but, but something's changed. And I believe that it was Paul's desire to go visit the Roman church is the reason why he wanted to write this letter before he actually went to see them because he knew that these people would be skeptical of him. He was this, this devout Jewish man who many of uh, people in the Jewish crowd felt like that he had, had compromised too many of his Jewish beliefs, but, but many in the Gentile crowd still felt like he was too Jewish to actually be a part of them and, and, and so Paul, he writes this letter and he sends it ahead of them in hopes that whenever he's able to make it to them that they would actually accept him. And one more note that I think is so important for us to understand about the, the, the book of Romans is that whenever Paul wrote this, he had no idea what was coming in just a matter of years. Remember, this was written in the year 56 or 57. And what that means is that within seven to eight years, the Christians in Rome were getting ready to face some of the most intense persecution that Christians have ever experienced in all of history in the year 64 at the hands of Nero. But it was this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that ended up being such an incredible encouragement to those Christians during that time. And so real quick, I want to look at the purpose that Paul wrote this letter. And, and a lot of people, whenever you ask, what's the purpose of, uh, of, uh, of, the, of the letter to the Romans, they will use a single word. They'll say, well, the gospel is the purpose. And I know that we hear the word gospel and we can think that is just such a broad term and that's on purpose. Because, because Paul is covering so much ground in this letter that it's easy. You almost need this term that can almost be like an all-encompassing term of everything that is good. All the good news that you can possibly think of. You just need this big umbrella term to be able to say this is the purpose of the Apostle Paul just because of how much he is trying to cover. But, but we have, I'm, I'm going to give you three purposes that we find in the letter to the Romans. The very first one is exactly what I just said. It's to clarify the gospel. 
is to clarify the gospel. Many would say that this is the overarching theme of Romans, that because Paul covers so much ground and teaches so much foundational doctrine, that his purpose needs to be something as all-encompassing as simply being good news. But the reason that this is so important, and the thing that I hope just the, the Holy Spirit just like drills into our hearts so, so deeply to where it changes us, to where it, it allows us to live out of that transformational relationship with Jesus, to where it allows us, as we talked about last month, to live from the overflow of what it is that God is doing within us. The thing that I hope that we see, the reason that this matters so much is because no matter what it is that we are doing in life, There's one thing that we have to know if we want to continue on that path. Whether it's at your job, whether it's at the home, whether it's at school, no matter what it is, we have to understand the how and the why. Like, like how am I supposed to do what it is that I am supposed to do, and why am I supposed to do what it is that I am supposed to do? And the Apostle Paul, he uses the term gospel to answer that question, and he clarifies the gospel to answer that question. Why do we follow? Why do we submit? Why do we surrender? How do we follow? How do we submit? How do we surrender to Jesus? So Paul, he wants to lay out his understanding of the gospel. And so what is this good news? What is the good news of Jesus Christ? Why do people need to hear it? How can people experience it? What will it mean for their future? And what does the good news have to do with everyday life? These large and basic questions form Paul's agenda in Rome's, and it's an agenda that is dictated by a combination of circumstances and purpose. We'll get to this next week, but it's in, in, in Romans chapter 1 where Paul uses this phrase that all of us, or many of us have probably heard at different points in our lives. He says that, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to all who believe. And so the first purpose that the Apostle Paul has is just very simply to, to clarify the gospel. The second purpose that he has, and this one is so, so massive, and this is one of those things that, that I believe, again, that I, I, I just pray that the Holy Spirit will use in us and in our community as we go through this letter. But the second purpose is to unify the church. To unify the church. So much had happened in, in the years preceding Paul writing this letter to the Romans. It was in AD 49 that the Emperor Claudius had, had made a decree, had issued an edict that, that all Jewish people had been banished from, from Rome, that, that there was too much tension among the Jews there, that there was tension between the Jewish Christians and there was tension between the Jewish non-Christians. And so in AD 49, Claudius was just like, I'm done. If you guys can't learn to get along, you guys can just go ahead and get out of my city. And so they end up getting out of the city, but, but, but about five years later in the year 54, Nero came into charge and Claudius was no longer in charge. And whenever Nero was in charge, the, 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 the Jews were able to come back into Rome. But up until AD 49, 49 AD, up until that point, the leaders in the church and, and, and kind of the backbone of the church had, 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 had all been Jewish believers. It was still a, a Jewish and a Gentile church, but it was predominantly a Jewish church. The leaders were predominantly Jewish. But of course, whenever they left in AD 49, it became pretty much a 100% Gentile church. And so you can imagine the frustration and the confusion that would take place in AD 54 whenever the Jews were allowed to come back in and they were coming back to a church that they once led 
but now looked very, very different. And so as, as, as Paul is attempting to encourage unity in the church, he, he looks no further than Jesus himself. If we want to know how to unify the church, we must look no further than Jesus himself. For Paul Christ, he was that unifying factor. He is the one who reconciles all people to each other and to God through his person and his work. And this is so important for us today that the Apostle Paul, he understood that true unity between all people and all things can only be found in God and in his son, Jesus Christ, who is the cosmic unifier and reconciler and redeemer of the universe. And so the final purpose that I want to bring to your attention today is the reason that, that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter was to prove God's righteousness. To prove God's righteousness, to prove God's faithfulness, that from the time of the Old Testament to the New, God is the same God. That our God is a promise-keeping God. That, that, that through the covenant of Abraham and and all the way through the work of Jesus, we see that God is faithful and that God is righteous and that God is keeping his covenant and that when we put our faith in him, he makes us righteous too. And like I said earlier, today is really just about a lot of information. So real quickly, let's take a look at, at how Paul kicks off this letter. And I just want to highlight a few themes that, that we will see come up again and again as we work our way through the letter to the Romans. So here we go. We're going to begin with Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. You guys ready? Four of you. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll take it. We'll, take, we'll work on it throughout the year. Verse 1 says this, Paul, a servant, a better translation would say a bond servant or even a slave of Christ Jesus. What Paul is trying to get across there is that he has been bought at a price, that he does not belong to himself, but he belongs to his master. And this was not just Paul saying, this is who I am, but this was Paul saying, this is who you are as well. R.C. Sproul, he said that when Christ sets us free from slavery to the flesh, he calls us to the royal liberty of slavery to him. That is why we call him master. We acknowledge that that, that is from him that we get our, our marching order, that is from him that we get our marching orders, that he is the Lord of our lives. We are not our own. We are not autonomous or independent unless people understand their relationship to Christ in these terms, R.C. Sproul says, they remain unconverted. So Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul is saying, I have been commissioned to announce a message or good news about God. Rather, he is saying that, that, that the gospel, he has been separated and called to proclaim, it is not his gospel, but it is God's gospel. So Paul called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, and this is the gospel, the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets. The gospel doesn't begin with Jesus. The gospel begins in Genesis through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. You go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you see that first little messianic prophecy who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David to fulfill prophecy. And through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
And it's right here that the Apostle Paul moves from his calling to being set apart to our calling to be set apart. He says, through him, plural, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience. This is a big theme right here. To the obedience that comes from faith. For his name's sake. Faith, if genuine, always has obedience as its outcome. I'm going to say that again. Faith, if genuine, always, 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 can you say always? Always has obedience as its outcome. Obedience, if it is to please God, must always be accompanied by faith. It's a transformational relationship with Jesus. It's living from the overflow of what God has done for you and in you and through you. And Paul continues, he says, And you, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called, we're going to get into that in just a second, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome, who are loved by God and who are called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We should approach studying Romans with excitement and fear because studying Romans should change you. We should by no means finish this journey as the same people we are today. But we should know Jesus more clearly, understand the gospel more thoroughly, pursue grace more passionately, and feel it more deeply. We should hate sin more completely and understand more fully that than we ever have before God's purpose for the world and his faithful achievement of those purposes in spite of evil and sin. Studying Romans should change you. Mark Batterson, several years ago, he wrote a book called All In. And in it, he tells this story. He says that a century ago, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings into, into coffins. As they sailed out of the port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved and everything they knew. They, they knew that they would never return home. A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had martyred every missionary before him. But Milne had not, had, did not fear for his own life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. And for 35 years, he lived among that tribe, and he loved them. And when he died, members of the tribe, they buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. So church, when did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? 
The faithfulness is, is holding the fort, that playing safe is, is safe, that, that there is any greater privilege and sacrifice, that, that radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. Jesus died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding fort. Faithfulness is storming the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. The complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical. It's normal. It's about knowing the gospel and believing that it really is good news. I can't wait, church. Sunday can't get here fast enough. It's going to be a good year. I hope that you don't just dive into this letter the hour that we have together each week. But I hope that we all get to know this letter inside and out each and every day that the Lord gives us this year. Father in heaven, I thank you for today and just for this opportunity to be in this place, to sing songs to your name, to to hear your word proclaimed. And Father, I pray that you will do an amazing work within us, that you will move within us, that you will open our eyes to the things that are unseen, that you will reveal to our hearts any of our ways that are not of you. And Jesus, that you will will do great things in us that allow us to go do great things in this community and in this world. Jesus, we need you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.